Cresta in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Broadcasting from the studios of Ave Maria Radio in Ann Arbor, Michigan, Al Cresta is ready for conversations of consequence. This is Cresta in the Afternoon. Good afternoon and welcome to Cresta in the Afternoon. I am Pete Burak filling in for Al today. Al is working on the Ave Maria Radio Pledge Drive. So as a reminder, please support your local Catholic radio station. I uh, really enjoy these opportunities to fill in for Al because of the guests we get to talk to and the conversations we get to have. And today is no exception. We have a really wonderful show planned for you today. We're going to kick things off with a good friend of mine, Rachel Herbeck, who works with me at Renewal Ministries. We're going to be talking about Romans 12, and what does Paul mean by living with a transformed mind? How do we attain that? What does does that mean, and how do we live in and through that reality? And then we're going to be talking to Tim Glemkowski from the National Catholic uh, Eucharistic Congress, and be talking about what's going on with that and what real renewal looks like. And then in the second hour, we have three fantastic guests. We're going to be talking to a guy named Jay Kopp about some Catholics in history who you didn't know were Catholic and the impact that they had. And then Mary Rice Hassan will be here to be unpacking the latest decision from St. Mary's College in Indiana to accept, uh, it's an all-girls, all-women's university that is now accepting men who identify as women. We're going to be talking about why that's problematic and what we can do about it. And then we're going to close out our our show with Father Timothy Vaverick, looking at the Word of God. It's a good way to close the show, looking at What does St. Paul talk about the impact of the Word of God uh, through the lens of Thessalonians? So it's a packed show. We're going to be diving in, kind of weaving in and out of topical issues like with Mary Rice and then also kind of scriptural issues with with Rachel and, and Father Timothy, all of which are part of what we're trying to do here at Ave Maria Radio and through Catholic Radios to help have conversations of consequence, to unpack the Word of God and to apply it to our lives, to apply it to our culture, and to be able to walk confidently as disciples of Jesus Christ. And so, once again, I'm Pete Burak, filling in for Al Cresta today. I uh, Normally, I'm the Vice President of Renewal Ministries, and we are trying to preach the Word wherever the doors are open. And that's what we're going to try to do today as well. But first, let's get to the news with Dan McGraw. Thank you, Pete, and good afternoon, everyone. This is your Ave Maria Radio News for Wednesday, November 29th. It's the Feast of St. Satanarius. And today's news is brought to you by Charity Mobile, supporting pro-life and Catholic causes at CharityMobile.com. Pope Francis is pulling out of his planned trip to the COP28 climate meeting in Dubai. The Vatican said the Pope is continuing to deal with the effects of the flu. He attended his Wednesday audience today, but an aide read his speech for him. The 86-year-old Pope was due to travel to the Middle East for three days this weekend. Francis agreed to stay home with great regret. The Vatican is looking into ways he can still join discussions remotely. 
Harvard University is under investigation by the Department of Education over anti-Semitic incidences that have happened since the war started between Israel and the Palestinian militant group Hamas. The investigation, announced on Tuesday, is meant to determine if civil rights violations have taken place on campus. Former First Lady Rosalind Carter will be laid to rest at her family's home in Plains, Georgia today. The private service and burial follows a tribute service held yesterday at a church on Emory University's Atlanta campus. All living First Ladies, former President Bill Clinton and President Joe Biden attended the service along with hundreds of mourners. And walking is associated with a lower risk of type 2 diabetes and the speed could determine how much. A new study published in the British Journal of Sports Medicine shows brisk walking is linked to a nearly 40% lower risk of developing type 2 diabetes later in life. Previous studies showed that walking frequently was linked to a lower risk of developing type 2 diabetes with more time spent walking per day connected to lower risk. From the AveMariaRadio.net News Desk, I'm Dan McGraw. In Romans chapter 12, St. Paul exhorts us to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So our first guest today on Crested in the Afternoon is Rachel Herbeck. She is the Director of Young Adult Discipleship for Renewal Ministries. She got her uh, education from the University of St. Thomas in St. Paul, Minnesota. She speaks all over the United States and Canada to youth and young adults and other adults, too, about Jesus and all things uh, related to Scripture and discipleship. She's based here in Ann Arbor, and she's a good friend of mine. Rachel, welcome to Crested in the Afternoon. Thanks for having me, Pete. So let's dive into Romans 12. St. Paul says, we are not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Rachel, how do you understand that passage? You know, I think it's interesting because we talk a lot about transformation in the Christian life and conversion and growth and all those things. And I think it's very interesting that Paul says in Romans 12, he says, be transformed. And then he says, by, which is an in- indication that the word is about to tell us exactly how we're transformed mm-hmm. by the renewal of your mind. And so it's really interesting because it's kind of like not a natural thing that we might say, you know, it'd be like, be transformed by working really hard, Mm. be transformed by being the best you can be, be transformed by being the holiest person, you know, but be transformed by renewing your mind. So there's this like, right in Romans 12, Paul's telling us one, exactly how to do it and how important renewal of the mind is because it tells us two things if you need to renew something that means that the state that it's that it originates in isn't the state that it should be in Hmm. right so it means it needs to change and so he's telling us your human mind needs to be renewed and when your human mind is renewed that's actually when you become transformed Hmm. you know so i think we kind of like slough it off as like well, the power of positive thinking or different things like that. But that's actually not what St. Paul is talking about at all. He's actually talking about a renewal process of your mind, which includes your thoughts, which includes your thought patterns, which produce behavior, all of those things. And he's saying that is how you trans. That's how you become transformed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's no question, too, that within the scriptural context, the the concept of our mind 
is very closely related to our will and our desires and our passions. And Paul is trying to help uh, you know the Romans here understand that that proper ordering of loves, that proper mm-hmm. ordering of our our will, our passions, our desires, all of which under the lordship of Jesus. Because he even starts the chapter twelve with offering your bodies as a living sacrifice. Mm-hmm. So it's it's starting with this kind of climbing on the altar, and as we surrender to the Lord, he he brings about a transformation in us mm-hmm. that is not just a physical one and not just a spiritual one, but an integrated mm-hmm. whole where he's. He's really producing something new in us. Right. Yeah. And I think to if you think about it and say, like, you can – because as Catholics, we're about doing things, right? We like the yeah. t- we like tangible things. We like practical things. You can only do something a certain amount of times. Like, you can't – you can do something, but you can't do it with consistency if your mind is not leading it. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I can wake up – just like a very, like, secular example – I can wake up to my alarm on pure grit a couple of times, but if actually my mind isn't leading my behavior on that and isn't transformed in like doing this new habit, then I can't actually have a consistency of behavior. I can't, I can have a consistency of the will without a renewal of my mind. And that's why so often we have a frustration in the spiritual life because we rely on grit which we need, you know, like we need that, but under cooperation of the spirit, which renews your mind. Mm-hmm. And I know you've, you've spent a lot of time relating to, we'll just call them the younger generations, <laughs> even though we both like to think we're still in the younger generations. But one of the things you mentioned was this idea of kind of being renewed even, or be driven by the power of positive thinking, or mm-hmm. there's, there's just a lot out there right now in secular culture about their version of a renewed mind. Right. And I wonder, could you make the distinction, help us understand the difference between the Christian understanding of a renewed mind that Paul's talking about mm-hmm. here and what you've encountered? Because whether you're an older person, you're like, I don't know what Rachel's talking about. I promise you all the young people in your life have been coming up against, whether in social media or in their friend circles, this idea of the various ways that the secular world is trying to talk about a renewed mind. Yeah, yeah. So I would say the First of all, both the goals and the origin are completely different. And so in Christianity, the renewal of the mind is part of the larger renewal of the man, Hmm. right? And so St. Paul talks about, which we can point to earlier, he talks about as a Christian, and even John says this in in the first uh, chapter of John, like you are now, a Christian is born of God, you know, not by the flesh, not by the will of man, but is now born of God. And so as a baptized believer, you are now renewed and washed, you're regenerated. And so you've tr- you've passed from being the old man to the new man. You're not actually pass you're not actually passing. You're not caught between hmm. these two things. Like because you've been baptized and because Christ has died, you have died to sin with Christ. And that's actually just the gospel. You know, like yeah. that's actually just why we're here. And so your whole process of life is a transformation in Christ to become what he's already made you through his death and resurrection. And so it's like you're growing up into it's like a when like a little boy tries on his dad's coat in a way, like mm-hmm. and say the dad's given it to him or something or wears his dad's shoes. It's like they might feel too big, but we're we're growing into the garment that already belongs to us, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so all the new age stuff, it just pulls on the things that are attractive to to um 
to us from that while putting putting aside the whole conversation about we actually need to die mm. you know and so it makes the new age thing and the power of positive thinking is i want to think differently so that i can bear fruit for myself so that i can get what i want so that i can get what i need and so i be i'm the origin and i'm the result mm. you know whereas opposed to in the gospel right paul says we're offering ourselves like the center of becoming renewed is actually dying you know, it's dying to the old man. It's that death to self and being, like it says, Christ has died once and for all, and he's died to sin. And so if Christ is dead to sin, consider yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ, mm. right? And so we're, we're actually in a process of like, we've died, we've already risen with Christ, you know, even though we have the final resurrection and he's the origin and he's the end. And whatever fruit he wants to bear in between through that renewal process is up to him, you yeah. know? Yeah, very good. You uh, sent me a text actually yesterday talking about this, and in it included some, you know, very practical application of, okay, so somebody's listening and they're saying, okay, Rachel, this sounds great. Mm-hmm. I want a renewed mind. Yeah. I don't want to be caught up in the winds of the world, the right. spirit of the age. I want to I want to think like Jesus. Mm-hmm. I want to live like Jesus. But what does that actually look like? Right. How do how do we take tangible steps for this? And and you sent me a text with a little, you know, a little breakdown. And so I wonder with the you know, few minutes we have left mm-hmm. in this segment to just kind of do a little overview of what can we tangibly do to start to live this way. Right. So I would say um, to not to get caught in the castle sure. to do. Yeah. You know, but yeah. To to preface these um, kind of practical things, I would say is to say like we just talked about. Like through your baptism, you have actually been given the nature of Christ. Yeah. You know, like you have, that's what you've been given. And so all of this is like a process to actually take hold of that nature and to have the Holy Spirit like re- actually reveal to you who Jesus is. And so it's like we can actually do practices and we can know. We can know what Jesus was like, and we can know the things that he did, and we can know what his characteristics are, and all of those things are already accessible to us Mm -hmm. in terms of the way that we're able to live. And so to be able – that's even part of renewing our mind is to think of ourselves like that. And so, I mean, the first thing is you have to read the scriptures. Like, we have to read the scriptures. The purpose of the scriptures is to – for the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus to us, you know, and we can't – know Jesus apart from the scriptures. And if I can't know Jesus, then I can't even know myself. You know, so it's like if I'm going to renew my mind, I have to have a standard by which I'm renewing it because I have to have something, I have to have input, you know. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about outside of the mass. It's amazing. We need to feed, to feast on the word and the mass, but we need to feast on it in our bedrooms, in our prayer times, you know, like in our little rocking chairs in the living room, wherever it is, like with our coffee, because it shows us who we are. Like that passage we're just talking about, like take that passage from Romans 6. It literally says that, for we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died to sin once and for all, but the the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So it's even like I need to I sit down, I feed on that passage. Like that's actually renewing something in my mind because it's telling me something about who I am. So it's actually I go and live differently in my day if I think about myself as being dead to sin and alive to Christ versus being somebody who just shouldn't sin. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. anymore. Yeah. So it's like that's an example of just like one sentence from the word. Two, like I said before, when the scripture is meant to reveal Jesus to us, so as the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus to us, actually like stop and engage with Jesus in the word. You know, he is the word. Mm-hmm. You know, so we're receiving him. And so praise him, thank him. If something hits you, like stop and be, I love this. Like my dad will do this all the time. And he says this, he'll say, if he's convicted about something, he'll stop. And he'll say, Jesus, thank you for revealing that to me. Show me more. Mm. Because then it's, you're not just reading a book. It becomes a conversation and also worshiping him in that being like, like there's sometimes when we read the word and we're just so overcome with who he is and his majesty. And it's like, okay, then stop. And he's like, stop and worship me in that. Um, And then pray the word, like declare even that word that we said before, like I'm going into my day and when a temptation comes, I'm praying over myself. I am alive to Christ and dead to sin, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, and that renews my mind. And then a really, this is not just reading scripture, but also being mindful of what you consume, you Mm -hmm. know, like, and it's not just don't watch this because it's sinful, but is watching this going to affect my walk in the spirit? Mm-hmm. Is it going to make it, not is it sinful even, is yeah. it going to make it harder for me to walk in the Spirit? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because once we begin to walk in the Spirit, we don't want to compromise anything. And then five, if we're meant to have the nature of Jesus, like be, I just heard this recently actually of like, go and you, we know what's in Jesus's closet. We know what clothes he wears through the scripture, <laughs> like figuratively. Yeah, like, yeah. and I love that. Like, it's like, and we're like, God, make me more humble. It's like, well, we know Jesus was humble. He's like, you already have access spiritually. Go in and just put on the jacket of humility mm. and dot, start, be, start practicing humility in your life. Mm-hmm. And so you don't just have to wait for me, you know? Oh, man. Very good, Rachel. Read the word, worship the word, speak it out, pray it, be sensitive to what other sources are coming in, and then live by it. Put on Christ. You know, mm-hmm. those are those are practical, those are tangible, and those will transform your mind and will lead to living like Jesus. This was Rachel Herbeck from Renewal Ministries. I'm Pete Burak filling in for Al Cresta. We need a break, but we'll be right back. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tomio. The AP is now saying that news people cannot refer to pregnancy resource centers as pregnancy resource centers or crisis pregnancy centers. They have to refer to them as anti-abortion centers because we're misleading the public by saying that they're offering resources, apparently. It is about consistently putting forth a culture of death, do anything you want sexually, being extremely woke every time you turn around. This is more proof that all they care about is their own agenda. And they're doing this to their own demise. If you look at the ratings, for example, of CNN, if you look at the subscription rates, right, of various newspapers, whether it's online or still hard copy in in print, continuing to decrease. And yet they do not care because it's about the agenda. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio. Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Who may be baptized into the Catholic faith? The Catholic Catechism tells us that baptism may only be administered to a person who has never been previously baptized. When an adult is baptized, he undergoes a preparation for the sacrament called the catechumenate. The candidate for baptism is called a catechumen. The catechumen should be properly initiated into the mystery of salvation and the practice of the evangelical virtues. They should also be introduced into the life of faith, liturgy, and charity of the people of God by successive 
writes, Baptism of infants is, the Catechism says, an immemorial tradition of the Church. Church law urges that a child be baptized as soon after birth as possible, in order that the baby not be denied the priceless grace of becoming a child of God as soon as possible. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. Support for this Ave Maria radio program comes in part by the non-for-profit St. Anthony Services. Are you shopping for mortgage products, Catholic investing, Catholic health, real estate, or estate planning? StAnthonyServices.org can help you find a Catholic professional for these needs. They regularly connect faithful citizens with faith-based professionals that share our Christian values. More information at StAnthonyServices.org or 877-LIFE-US1. Cresta in the Afternoon is underwritten by the following nonprofit organization. Real Estate for Life. Buying or selling your home or business property? Real Estate for Life can connect you with one of 1,400 pro-life real estate agents around the world. When Real Estate for Life receives a referral fee, they donate 70% to Ave Maria Radio and Human Life International. More information at realestateforlife.org or 877-LIFE-US1. That's realestateforlife.org. The wisdom of Mother Angelica. Have you ever been so grief-stricken and so heart-sick that you can't see God? You can't see God in the tragedy. You can't see God in that cross. You can't see God in that sick. Why? You're enveloped in that grief. You're enveloped in fear. And God is out the window. You don't see him standing right next to you. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. Hi, I'm Al Cresta. Do you remember writing your Christmas wish list as a child? In developing countries like Haiti and Guatemala, children don't make Christmas lists, and they don't expect Christmas gifts. All their parents earn must go to food, shelter, and water. Can you picture the joy of surprising a child with their first Christmas gift? Send them a box of joy at boxofjoy.org. A rosary and the story of Jesus is included in every box of joy. Give today at boxofjoy.org. And welcome back to Cresta in the Afternoon. I'm Pete Burak, filling in for Al Cresta. Al is participating and hopefully raising lots of money for Ave Maria Radio during their pledge drive right now, which is a great reminder to all of us to find out what your local Catholic radio station is doing and how you can support them, because this outreach, this apostolate, is built on the backs of men and women who have sacrificed a tremendous amount to be able to, yeah, bring the Word of God to the nations and across the airwaves. We just got done talking with Rachel Herbeck. Rachel, as I said in the last segment, works with Renewal Ministries, and I've had the privilege and pleasure of, of watching her grow in her outreach and in her uh, fruitfulness. And it was so fun talking to her about the transformation of a renewed mind because she and I have been kind of in the journey of that together and watching that uh, happen in each other. And she left us and we, we were a little bit rushed there at the end of the segment, but she was articulating kind of five things we can do in order to live and begin to live more completely in that renewed mind that St. Paul talks about in Romans 12. And so to recap, here here's some just very tangible and practical things we can do to start to live 
and I think the way to think about it is to live in harmony or in a consistent way with what God has done in us. And what Rachel was saying and reminding us of is that while we were born into this world as sons and daughters of wrath, Scripture tells us that all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, and that we actually enter into this world because of original sin as enemies of God. Again, this is not my idea. This is what Scripture teaches us, that we enter into this our, our lives. When we are born, we are born actually under a curse because of sin. And that curse... The or the the consequence of that curse is that our identity is separated from God as sons and daughters of wrath, and because of that identity, our destiny is separation for all eternity. That we are destined for uh, condemnation when we first enter into the world, and that's that's the state that all humanity finds itself in, and that's why John three sixteen makes sense. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. So the Lord sees the problem, the sin problem, and the effect of the sin problem, separation, condemnation, wrath, enemies of God, and he sends his Son and he takes on, Jesus takes on all of the curse, he takes on human flesh, he becomes like us in all things but sin, and so he takes the curse and he takes it to the, to the cross, and then through his death and then, and then his resurrection, the power of sin and death is broken. The curse is removed. And now all of a sudden, we who were once sons and daughters of wrath now have the doorway, the pathway, the opportunity to become sons and daughters of God. And so what our destiny as sons and daughters of wrath, which was separation, condemnation, becomes a new destiny, which is intimacy and salvation. And this is, this is the project of Christianity. This is the good news of the gospel. The, and, and I've heard it said several times, you know, the good news is only the good news if you understand and believe the bad news. And the bad news is, is we need a Savior. But the good news is, is we have a Savior. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he extends his life not just in a passive kind of from on high, here's, here's a carrot, here's a cookie to, you know, to make you whole, here's just this extension of my power that I'm just going to kind of send down on earth. No, he extends it by coming and dwelling with us through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the sacraments of the church and through the, 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 the ship that he established to carry us to salvation, he comes and we have intimate life with him. And so this church that we live in, that we participate in, and that we are blessed by is the body of Christ on the earth that must move from time to, you know, through time and space from every age, recognizing what the culture needs in order to be brought into this story, that the gospel doesn't change even as the world changed around us, but we need to insert and proclaim the gospel into a world that in every time and every season needs the good news of Jesus Christ. So our next guest is going to talk about what it looks like to bring authentic renewal both to the church and to the world. Because the church is not necessarily known for change, and rightfully so, but we need to be able to evolve in the proper sense of being led by the Spirit to 
uh, respond to what we face in our contemporary culture, not so much that the contemporary culture can inform us, but so that we can more properly transform those around us. So our guest right now is Tim Glemkowski. Tim is the executive director of the National Eucharistic Congress. He's worked for different archdioceses and his own lay apostolate. He wrote a book called Made for Mission, Renewing Your Parish Culture, and he is spearheading, in many ways, this Eucharistic Revival and Eucharistic Congress that the bishops of uh, the United States have called us to. Tim, welcome to Crescent in the Afternoon. Pete, thanks so much for having me. It's good to be with you. Oh, I love our conversations, brother, and I think people will be blessed. You recently... This is kind of a funny source, but you recently wrote something for Facebook, a Facebook post that caught our attention, and uh, we're going to dive into it here. And I'm going to start with kind of a doozy, which is basically, you you begin the, the post with, how does change happen in the church that preserves the core of who we uniquely are? So let's just start there, Tim. Sometimes change and the church don't seem synonymous with each other. Help us understand what you mean by change and how it's appropriate for the church. Yeah, I think broadly considered, I mean, just taking a step back, it's an interesting conversation right now, right? We have the Eucharistic Revival going on in the United States. Globally, there's a, a synodal effort that's related to, you know, questions of renewal. And I think even, you know, further out, right, the last, like, 75 years of the Church's sort of story in the wake of the Second Vatican Council and otherwise is sort of a renewal moment, this question of how does the Church uh, find itself renewed so that it can, you know, do its mission more effectively is sort of underpinning everything that we're doing as a church. So, yeah, I think it's something I think a lot about, and and, right, and I see a lot of different committee sort of answers to it, either online or in different apostles I need or whatever. So I was, I was thinking about you know, some of those conversations recently, and, and it, it's actually from George Weigel, the idea um, from his book Evangelical Catholicism, which is about, in this time, how do we become more evangelistic as a church? He's got this great kind of paradigm where he says, you know, right now the, the Lord is inviting renewal, for his bride, for his church. And so if we want to know what he's doing and how he's trying to do it, as leaders, we're going to have to lead in some way change. You know, there's going to have to be... But, you know, that that word is often, I think, scary for Catholics, because for some of us it denotes, you know, sort of leaving what's uniquely Catholic or authentic in the tradition or the deposit of faith behind, right? And it leads to... And has we've seen, you know, in many ways, how it's led to confusion or watering down the faith. So how do you sort of pursue that route of renewal that's authentically Catholic, but at the same time is, uh, you know, I don't know, innovative seems like the wrong word, but sort of is pushing into what God actually has for the Church. And so he says, just ask these two questions. It's a question of discernment. Uh, look at anything, whether it's the laity or the clergy or the liturgy or the, and ask, you know, first, what is it, right? Like, what is the thing in its essence and in its core? And then second, you know, what is that supposed to be in an apostolic era? Or how is God trying to renew that thing or calling for that thing to be renewed in an apostolic era? And his, his principle is the second should never change the first in its core, right? Like in its, in its essence. We, we, we use these philosophical constructs like substance and accidents. What is the, the whatness of a thing? It's substance versus its accidents, right? So we, we can talk about transubstantiation with Eucharist. The substance changes there, but the accidents stay the same. In this case, what's accidental could change, but what's uh, substantially something, what, what its whatness is, shouldn't change. And, and then that becomes like sort of a paradigm for authentic renewal. We get in trouble when we start trying to make things do something for the Church and in the Church, like the liturgy or like the diocesan office or the parish. When we're trying to make it do something that it, it was never really constructed to do, is, is sort of his argument. Yeah, there's uh, lots of different directions we could go with that. 
um, let's start here. You use the term an apostolic age, and I'd be willing to bet that many of the listeners of Crested in the Afternoon are familiar with what you would mean by that, but could you give us the rundown of how we are to understand the age we're in and, and why you would call it an apostolic age? Yeah, so it's it's kind of the idea behind the Second Vatican Council or John Paul II's call for a new evangelization or is really this idea Pope Francis has said we're living not just in an age of change, but in a change of age. And kind of what they mean by that is a lot of the ways the Church has come to live out its life and understand itself were born out of a culture that was itself birthed from a worldview that has been baptized in the Gospel, right? So the early evangelization of the Apostles was so successful that what it gave birth to was not Christians, but an entire culture that we call Christendom. And in Christendom, the Church sort of found two situations for her her life. There's, you know, sort of pastoral care, like we have faithfully Catholic culture, and we just sort of tend to those and shepherd those. And then there's missions, and missions happen elsewhere, right? Like, we go out to the people, to, to foreign lands, to, to live out mission. What's changing today is because uh, once Christian cultures are no longer baptized in their worldview, like the way people think about what is love, or what is human nature, or what is government, or how we're supposed to organize ourselves, or what is the purpose of human life, because those things themselves aren't birthed from a Christian worldview, there is no longer the situation where sort of the, the, the way we're living out the Church, in, especially in Western cultures, the United States, or Europe, or Canada, what's changing with this, this wave of, of secularism is that now we're living in a situation that has more in common in some ways with uh, the, the sort of cultural reality that the early Church was born into than it does with, you know, sort of high Christendom. And so that should change, not just, you know, sort of like our tactics, uh, but really our entire sort of operating system needs to pivot to meet that. We have to live uh, sort of among the remnants of Christendom in an apostolic way. Like, there has to be an apostolic mode of operating, and that's the turbulence that we see in the Church today is we sort of need to navigate that change, and doing that is kind of easier said than done, and there's a lot of trial and error and awkwardness, but we, we are firmly, in my opinion, we are firmly in an apostolic time now. It's Fulton Sheen said in 1978, right, we're living at the end of Christendom. You said, but you're not Christianity, not the Church, but, you know, Christendom, which is the political, economic, and you know, social life, which is born out of Christianity. And so if he said that, what, 50 years ago? You know, I mean, it, 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 I think we're fully there today. Yeah, and I think what's interesting about where we are, too, is I see it as we're almost in a, still in a somewhat of a transition time where some of the remnants and the structures and the, even like the buildings still exist. We can go around and still see churches and hospitals and schools and universities that are, call themselves Catholic and even are living Catholic uh, in, a, in a Catholic worldview. But but the mindset of the in the prevailing culture around it is very much an apostolic age, and so we're caught in between this kind of the the dying of Christendom and the rising of the apostolic age, and trying to bring the two of them together. So, Tim, hang on, we need to go to a break, but I want to break this open more uh, concretely moving forward for us. This is Crest in the afternoon. I'm Pete Burak filling in for Al. We'll be right back. 
Catechism defines evangelization as the proclamation of Christ and his gospel by word and the testimony of life in fulfillment of Christ's command. But what does that look like in real life? It looks like the St. Paul Evangelization volunteers out on the street sharing the good news with people in a non-confrontational way, handing out free sacramentals, listening to them, praying for them, teaching them, planting seeds, and letting the Holy Spirit make them grow. Visit StreetEvangelization.com and learn more so you can get involved in real-life evangelization. I'm Dr. Greg Popchak. And I'm Lisa Popchak from More to Life. Would you like to have a better family life by Christmas? Join us Monday, December 4th at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, for our free webinar, A More Peaceful Family by Christmas, A Catholic Parent's Guide to Advent. In Advent, we're called to make more room in our hearts and homes for Christ. Discover how the grace of Advent can help you celebrate the loving, faithful family life God wants for you. And it's free. Just register at catholichom webinar. That's catholichom webinar. See you there. Ciao amici, Teresa Tamio here. If you're looking for something inspiring to give to someone this Christmas season, or maybe just a little stocking stuffer for yourself, make sure to check out the Ave Maria Radio online store. Plenty of books are sale to teach, inspire, and renew your connection with God. Speaking of sales, my book, Everything's Coming Up Rosie, is 25% off this month while supplies last. So go ahead over to AveMariaRadio.net and click on the bookstore. Happy shopping! Hi, I'm Al Cresta. Do you remember writing your Christmas wish list as a child? In developing countries like Haiti and Guatemala, children don't make Christmas lists, and they don't expect Christmas gifts. All their parents earn must go to food, shelter, and water. Can you picture the joy of surprising a child with their first Christmas gift? Send them a box of joy at boxofjoy.org. A rosary and the story of Jesus is included in every box of joy. Give today at boxofjoy.org. Father Benedict Groeschel. In the church we speak of seven gifts. Wisdom, understanding, counsel, knowledge, loyalty, courage, and reverence or fear of the Lord. When I speak about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and these gifts come, they give you the ability to go beyond your strength. If you're struggling to be a good person, a good member of your religion, you know it's a struggle and you don't always make it. I've been at it many, many decades and I still struggle and trip and fall and have holes in my socks. Struggling to be a good person, something that we need help at. And this help comes to us by these gifts of the Holy Spirit. EWTN. Live Truth. Live Catholic. Dr. Ray Garendi. He's not on drugs. Parents will come into my office and describe a litany of trouble about this long. Then they'll say this, I'm giving you the wrong impression. Overall, he's a pretty good kid. How so? Well, he's not on drugs or anything like that. One of the new moral high bars out there, he's not on drugs. You want to raise a child not with the absence of pathology, but with the presence of virtue. She's miserable with me, but she treats everybody else great. Again, not the absence of bad behavior, but the presence of good behavior. He's not on drugs? (laughs) It's a rationale. may provide some comfort. It's not a path to virtue. 
Welcome back to Cresta in the Afternoon. I'm Pete Burak, filling in for Al. Al is working the Ave Maria Radio Fun Drive right now. So here's your reminder and encouragement to support your local Catholic radio station. We're here with Tim Glimkowski. He is the Executive Director of the Eucharistic Congress, and we're talking about renewal and what authentic renewal looks like. And Tim, you mentioned in, in this Facebook post that we were talking about that those two questions, what is the thing and what is it supposed to be and, and or used for today in an apostolic age? And I think this is... They seem like very simple questions, and in some ways they are, but there's so much that it can be drawn out of those two questions, and I think it's very rare that we actually take the time to ask these two questions about things like the parish, or mass, or uh, so many things that we just take for granted in, in the Catholic life. So help us understand how you would go about potentially applying these two questions in kind of the everyday context of a, of a normal Catholic life? Yes, I think the, the first one is kind of the key. And, and I think it goes back even further, right? Like, I think the first question is, okay, the Church. Like, what is, what is the Church supposed to be and do? And actually re- regaining clarity around the mission of the Church to drive all of that. You know, like that why, the fundamental why behind it is even sort of precedes it all. But then all these different realities, that, like you said, we, we were almost left with, uh, kind of before the break, we're left with these like vestiges of Christendom. And it's like, well, what do we, what do, we do with this? Do we just you know, get rid of this thing? I, I, I used to work in an archdiocesan office, and we would talk about this all the time. Like, what, who are we supposed to be, and what are we supposed to do if, if, if our objective and our goal is more than just maintenance? Because if, if it's just about accounting processes and sort of keeping the lights on in all the different buildings of the archdiocese, you know, then, then you know, it just, it just, it, it's an interesting thing. And then, then people say, well, the diocese should do this, or the parish should be doing this, and what, the, well, what should the baptized laity be doing? And then what should the clergy look like in an apostolic case? So we have to, all of these questions, I think, like, have to be discerned, but I think the problem is, is when we rush into action, we, we want to make the parish this, or we want to, uh, you know, yeah, what, what, without really taking the time to say, how do all these kind of fit into the symphonic whole, and how does each play their part? And then not asking anything to do something that it's not supposed to do. And I think some of these messes that we see where you see these big committees and church structures that are having these conversations, they want to make big strategic plans, all these different... It, a lot of the like, kind of uh, activity without fruitfulness comes when there's just a lack of, like, we're not playing the right instrument at the right time, I guess. Um, so what it looks like, you know, it looks like people praying and seeking and uh, you know, asking for God's wisdom in a particular situation, but it all comes back, I say, first about, you know, why does the Church exist, and regaining clarity on that, and then really defining, like, what is the thing supposed to be, uh, you know, first kind of in the mind and heart of the Church, you know, the deposit of faith and the perennial wisdom, and then and then today, like, how is that supposed to, what's the relevance of that to a missionary context today, and like a Catholic school system, a great example, like, what is a Catholic school today, you know, if it's about more mm-hmm. than just um, Christendom. Yeah, I mean, you're 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 raising some incredible questions, and even as you're you're listing the various things, what's what's the clergy, Catholic schools, parishes? It's it's fascinating how here I am with a master's in theology, and you know, working in and for the church in many ways, and you as well. And I'm I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, what what are these supposed to be for? You know, and what what does the church reveal to us, and what has the Holy Spirit led the church to to 
to offer to the world through these various institutions and structures, because I don't think it's fair to look back and say that the Holy Spirit wasn't working that brought us to this place, but where have we either deviated from his plan or the Lord is doing something new and we haven't caught on to it? And what you, one of the things you said in the post was, you know, you said, or candidly in professional Catholic circles, when we just don't ask God what he wants. Do you think, is this overly simplistic to say, and maybe a little too kind of naive, but is it is it just too simplistic to be like, hey, are we asking God what he wants? Yeah, and I think, right, it's always like, with broad strokes, my temptation would be to say, more often than not, in, in, in a lot of the professional Catholic circles I've run in, we, we replace God's initiative with human ingenuity all the time. Like, we, we, yeah, we take our master's degrees, uh, which I have one too, and, and our experiences, and we sort of, you know, guesstimate or we use um, statistical analyses or sort of polling data to try to, you know, kind of com- create complex strategies to um, create momentum forward instead of getting to these more sort of fundamental questions. Which, which again, like, like I think that's a really important point. Like Christendom was a good thing. The university system and the hospital system, right. <laughs> and you know, the scientific method came out of Christendom. You know what I mean? Like this is not what what's cha- it's just changed. We're just in a different cultural situation now, and so that's forcing us um, to kind of wrestle with these questions. And, and that's yeah, I think the first principle is, and it's you know, kind of highly impractical. And I understand if someone out there would be like, you know, that's not a real solution. But I do think we haven't stuck to the discipline of saying, what is God doing new, uh, and how are we listening for him in that, candidly, in our ministries, but like even first in our own lives, like what's mm-hmm. the holiness he's calling us to that's like new and apostolic and uh, sort of like allowing the tension of that to like God to do something new in us even personally. I just, we're not going to get very far if that's not the first thing. Mm-hmm. So not to try to put you on the spot here, but does do you see the Eucharistic Revival and the Eucharistic Congress, or better better way to phrase this is, how do you see the Eucharistic vi- Revival and then the, the event next July as a, an expression of this authentic renewal? See, that's it. I mean, that's, I, 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 I'm so grateful for that question, because that's the thing I think that people don't realize, right? They see it as a catechetical initiative, right? A certain percentage of Catholics don't necessarily believe we need to help them believe, you know, so what do we do? There's something deeper. I think, I think it is that in some ways, right? It's, I think it's a broken spine that, like, the central doctrine of the faith is not something that 100% of Catholics believe. I mean, it's, like, it's crazy. Like, there's, if you told the early church that, like, there would be, there would come a day where, like, there's a, a, a majority of Catholics would, would not necessarily, like, believe in the Eucharist. Like, it would just seem so alien to them. They'd be like, what? Like, how did, how did we get there, you know? Mm-hmm. But deeper than all of that, I think it's it's the story of yeah you know, in this apostolic time in this movement from a Christendom to an apostolic context, what the church is doing over three years and God willing you know for many years going forward is restoring the initiative to God and more than anything reencountering Him personally and putting Him first uh, you know to sort of like allow the church to be strengthened in her heart right like um, it's a it's a a, a decision or a chance for the Church to actually beg and plead for God to do something which she has tried to do fishing all night on her own. You know what I mean? It's mm, like, mm. You know, we've, we've built the nets and we've thrown them overboard, and, and what we're going to do as a Church is we're going to lay down all that in front of you and just say, we need you, and we want to come back to you 
and and in your initiative and your power and the relationship that you want with us. And we're going to do that by coming back to the central place where you're with us to the end of the age, which is in the Eucharist. And so, yeah, in an event and in a moment and in a three-year revival, you know, across the country, to me, that's, that's why I signed up, is, is I really see this as more than just a project of the Church, but a movement of God. And, and it's, it's exactly about that. It's exactly about uh, we, have, we have preferred our own planning to the power of God, and this is a chance to say God hasn't left us orphaned. And he's, uh, he's not anxious, and he's not worried, but he is on the move. And he's urgently uh, pressing into his church, and that's the church's, the Eucharistic revival is the church's chance to respond uh, with generosity. Let's talk specifically about the Eucharistic Congress and apply these two questions that you brought in the Facebook post, and let's, let's unpack it for the people here. So the Eucharistic Congress is coming up in July of 2024, the 17th through the 21st. And, uh, I mean, shameless plug, people need to go to the website, check it out, sign up. We want as many people as possible to descend upon Indianapolis to worship the Lord and, and be a part of what you're describing. So, But let's ask these two questions. What is the thing, the Eucharistic Congress, and what is it supposed to be and or used for in the apostolic age? You, you started to answer that a moment ago, but I'd love to apply what we've been talking about to this this thing that you're leading. I love it. I love it. I love these questions. Yeah. No, the, it, it's, it's, it's perfect because in some ways the Eucharistic Congress is a, it's a, it's a wineskin, right, a structure of Christendom. We actually started right. these, you know, in sort of like high American Catholicism with massive immigrant populations of Irish and Italians. That, you know, um, there, were, there were these gatherings in those times for the Church to sort of rally around the central mystery of the faith, and they were part of kind of the coming of age of us as Catholics in the United States. We've been sort of a oppressed minority and uh, growing in prominence and, and sort of an expression of, of sort of um, just the, the, where the Church had been at. And I think right now, the question for me is, what is an event, uh, what is it good for in renewal, right? Like, and, and, I, and I'm the CEO of the National Eucharistic Congress, and it's my conviction, right, if the bishops uh, recognize this problem of a, of a lack of Eucharistic uh, belief and, and Eucharistic life, more importantly, in the Church, if they had just responded with an event, I don't think it would have been a very good plan, right? It wouldn't have been enough. Sure. But the story of the Congress is about the revival, right? Because there's a three-year movement, there's, there's need, and I see necessity in that three-year movement for a chance for the movement to gather in a central way. If we were all doing our own thing in our different parishes and families and schools, and but, but there's this kind of rallying point in light of all of that where we have a chance to kind of gather as a nation, and specifically, I think if you look at sort of the history of uh, the Church, and if you look at sort of the biblical witness and narrative, you see moments, Pentecostal-type moments, you know, the, uh, you know literally, like, I, I see the, the relevance of the moment as sort of a, a moment of new Pentecost for the Church, like a chance for the Church to actually come together and gather. There are times where, whether it's the rebuilding of the Temple in Jerusalem and Ezra and Nehemiah, right, or other places where... God wants to actually gather His people together for a moment of, of repentance and healing, for a new outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and, and for kind of a chance for us as a people to kind of corporately return back to our first love. And so I see it as all of that. I see it as a moment of kind of encounter, again, with that first love, but an encounter that sends us on mission in a new way as a Church. Like, I'm not trying to just blow smoke here, but I really do think that this is sort of the next great missionary sending of the Church in the United States, like a historic moment, more than just like a, 
kind of a, a flashy gathering. I actually think God has a uh, a profound intention for those five days in Indianapolis. We got about a minute and a half left, Tim. Give us a sense of how that will happen in Indy over those couple days, and how people can get more information about it. Yeah, so the first thing I would say is like, don't miss this. You know, like July twenty second, twenty twenty four. You're going to be like, oh, darn, you know, like if you, um, we have, we now have day and weekend passes in addition to the five day pass to make it more accessible and affordable. Um, if you do want to come, especially for driving distance, like Southeast Michigan, you know, like this would be a chance for you to come for the weekend. Maybe, you know, if you have a family or you can't get off work or whatever, maybe a, a single day, there's going to be all kinds of different sort of, uh, audiences encountering revival in different ways, parish leaders and school leaders and, uh, kind of a priest experience, all kinds of different things. But each night is going to end in a stadium altogether for, for a real experience, again, of that kind of corporate returning to God. If you're encountering the kind of the, the why behind the church again, and a night on healing, night on the communion of the church, and um, then really like a, a, you know, sort of a missionary sending on the last day with a, a delegate from the, the Vatican, you know, people delegate coming for that moment. So all of it at its core, it, it, what I would say is, you know, it, it is the gathering of the whole church, and it is going to be kind of a historic moment. But, but we want people to come who are hungry, uh, right? Like hungry for God to do something. And, and even if they're coming maybe like a little apprehensive, maybe over the months leading up to it to grow in that hunger for God to actually move there. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Tim. Thank you for your work. Thank you for your sacrifice. I know it, it has been a lot, but worth it for the people of God to come together and be commissioned. This was Tim Gumkowski of the National Eucharistic Congress. I'm Pete Burak filling in for Al for Crest in the Afternoon. We're coming up and on break. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Al Cresta. Do you remember writing your Christmas wish list as a child? In developing countries like Haiti and Guatemala, children don't make Christmas lists, and they don't expect Christmas gifts. All their parents earn must go to food, shelter, and water. Can you picture the joy of surprising a child with their first Christmas gift? Send them a box of joy at boxofjoy.org A rosary and the story of Jesus is included in every box of joy. Give today at boxofjoy.org. Father Benedict Rochelle. I'm going to tell you about the most abused woman I ever met in my life. You know her name as Roe, as in Roe versus Wade. I talked to Roe. This woman is a great penitent woman is a humble person who was deeply hurt. She was kneeling in the Basilica of the Immaculate Conception, the National Shrine in Washington, when I met her. And I thought, what reverence. I didn't know who this woman was, but she was praying with reverence, with great fervor. And I asked a priest friend of mine, who is that? And he says, oh, that's Roe. God is not mocked. This woman was abused by those who propagate the killing of children. The people you know and trust are on EWTN. Uh, Started drinking beer on Saturday nights, uh, sleeping in on Sunday mornings, missing mass, and it just became a pattern and continued. Without God, I don't know where I'd be right now. I know the importance of the Eucharist. I know the importance of the sacraments that I didn't know at a young age. I follow God's will because my desire is to get to heaven. Our our lives are rich and full by being members of the church. If you've been away from the Catholic Church, visit catholicscomehome.org.
Welcome back to Crest in the Afternoon. I'm Pete Barak, filling in for Al. Al is working uh, with the Ave Maria Radio Fun Drive right now. And as I've been saying all show, this is your reminder and gentle push to support your local Catholic radio. We had a great first hour. We had Rachel Herbeck talking about a renewed mind and what St. Paul means in Romans chapter 12 and giving us some very tangible things we can do about it. We need to read the Word. We need to worship the Word. We need to speak the Word out loud. We need to be aware of what other sources are informing our minds and and affecting the way we think. And then we need to just put on Christ. We need to go into Galatians, read Paul's list of the fruits of the Spirit, and say, no, I am going to choose to live in harmony with these fruits, with patience and love and joy and peace and kindness and all those things, gentleness, because that's who I am. That's how God made me to be, that he has transformed me, he has saved me, so I can live in consistency with that. And then Tim Glimkowski was with us from the National Eucharistic Congress. Tim was talking about some of the things we can expect from the Congress in July, uh, but we didn't get to the point of sending you where you can get more information and where you can register either for the full weekend, for the full time, or a day pass. So if you'd like more information about the Eucharistic Congress, you can go to eucharisticcongress.org, or if you'd like more information about the entire revival and what the bishops are leading us in, you can go to eucharisticrevival.org. We've got an awesome second hour, so I hope you can stick around three fantastic guests talking about three very different topics. I'll fill you in after the break. I'm Pete Burak. This is Crest in the Afternoon. Stay with us. Broadcasting from the studios of Ave Maria Radio in Ann Arbor, Michigan, Al Cresta is ready for conversations of consequence. This is Cresta in the Afternoon. Good afternoon and welcome to Cresta in the Afternoon. I'm Pete Burak filling in for Al today. Al is across the hallway working on the Ave Maria Radio Pledge Drive. And we had a great first hour. If you didn't catch it, I'd invite you to uh, look it up. It'll be posted pretty soon wherever you get your podcasts or you can get the Ave Maria Radio app and you can have access to that first hour. We had a great conversation with Rachel Herbeck and Tim Glimkowski. And this second hour promises to be Fantastic as well. I'm looking forward to each of the the guests that we have. Coming up first, we're going to have a guy named Jay Kopp talking about the Catholic story behind the O'Hare Airport in Chicago. So Jay has done work on uh, Catholics throughout history who you've maybe never heard of. And so we're going to unpack the story of O'Hare Airport and its Catholic connection. And then Mary Rice Hassan will be joining me to talk about St. Mary's College in Indiana's latest decision to consider admission for undergraduate applicants whose sex is female or who consistently live and identify as women. Okay, we need to understand what that means and its uh, implications for our culture. Mary Rice Hassan is going to help us understand that. And then finally, we're going to close out the hour with Father Timothy Viverick, who will look at uh, what Paul writes in Thessalonians, where he says, we've received a word of God, not a human word. And so we're going to talk about the difference between God's word and human words and how we are to understand that and why God's word, this is pretty obvious, is important. And a human word 
is less important, and how God's Word can transform us compared to just regular human words. So this is what we're going to be focused on in Crest in the Afternoon. Once again, I'm Pete Burak. I'm the Vice President of Renewal Ministries, and I'm excited to be with all of you. We're going to dive into these conversations, but as always, we need to start with the news. So here it is with Dan McGraw. Thank you, Pete, and good afternoon, everyone. This is your Ave Maria Radio News for Wednesday, November 29th. It's the Feast of St. Saturnarius. And today's news is brought to you by Charity Mobile, supporting pro-life and Catholic causes at CharityMobile.com. The end of a temporary ceasefire between Israel and Hamas is approaching. Twelve more hostages were released by Hamas yesterday, while 30 additional Palestinian detainees were released from Israeli prisons. Yesterday's swap came after the temporary pause in fighting was extended an additional two days. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is sounding the alarm on the rise in anti-Semitism following Hamas's initial attack against Israel. Taking to the Senate floor, the New York representative said he felt compelled to speak as America's highest-ranking Jewish official. Schumer pointed out some of the most extreme rhetoric against Israel is emboldening anti-Semites who are attacking people just because they're Jewish. He said many pro-Palestinian groups marching in the U.S. do not have evil intent, but use alarming messaging that concerns the Jewish community. Pope Francis is pulling out of his planned trip to the COP28 climate meeting in Dubai. The Vatican said the Pope is continuing to deal with the effects of the flu. He attended his Wednesday audience today, but an aide read his speech for him. The 86-year-old Pope was due to travel to the Middle East for three days this weekend. Francis agreed to stay home with great regret. The Vatican is looking into ways he can still join discussions remotely. A survey of NFL players by the website The Atlantic finds most players think MetLife Stadium is the worst in the league. The survey of 85 players called MetLife Stadium lame and noted that the fans and everything about the stadium are horrible. On the other end of the spectrum is Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City, rated number one by the players surveyed. And on this day in rock and roll history in 1963, the Beatles released the single, I Want to Hold Your Hand, in the UK. It sold a million copies in three days. From the AveMariaRadio.net news desk, I'm Dan McGraw. And this is Cresta in the Afternoon. I'm Pete Burak, filling in for Al Cresta. Our next guest, Jay Kopp, is the author of 150 People, Places, and Things You Never Knew Were Catholic. And Jay, I'm excited for this conversation. I'm a history major. I love history. I love learning new things about history. And I have to tell you, I had no idea that my least favorite airport in the United States was named after a Catholic. So, Jay, welcome to Crescent in the Afternoon. Yeah, thank you. Glad to be here. I mean, this is an incredible story. I mean, there's so many different dimensions of Edward Henry O'Hare's life, known as Butch, as as you tell us in your National Catholic Register article. Can you just give us a, a broad stroke overview of who this guy was and kind of what what we can learn about him? Yeah, you know, and I live 15 minutes from O'Hare, named after Butch O'Hare, and I'm a native of Chicago, and I did not know it was named after him. It's part of our hidden history. Um, so yeah, he was a uh, pilot in World War II, a fighter pilot. And it was 80 years ago this month that he was shot down over the Pacific 
and uh, his plane was never found. His remains were never found. But there's a, a replica of his plane at, at Terminal 2 at the airport to remember his service, his sacrifice. And, you know, he, he was a Catholic. He, he was, uh, he was uh, buried at the cathedral in St. Louis. So he was very dedicated to his country, to his faith, to his family. One of the, he was one of the first heroes of World War II. Um, in, uh, earlier in the war, he, um, he fought off a squadron of uh, Japanese fighter planes. He was protecting the USS Lexington, um, which was a huge naval ship. And uh, he was the only fighter plane left to protect the ship. And he uh, actually shot down five Japanese planes. And for that, he won the Medal of Honor. And you have to remember, this was very early in the war, and the war wasn't going well for the U.S. at all. And so he was a big hero. You know, we were looking for heroes. He went to the White House. They had a parade in St. Louis. It was a big deal. Um, So he was one of the first heroes of the war. Yeah, it's amazing. And as you say in your article that, uh, I want to get into his father, too, because his father's story is is equally compelling in a completely different way. Uh, but there, before the war began, uh, when Butch was thinking about becoming married, <laughs> getting married to Rita, uh, she made it clear that she wasn't going to marry anyone who wasn't Catholic. And even though Butch is, you know, was baptized Catholic, he hadn't really embraced his faith. And it's clear, though, that that, that was something that became important to him. Right. His father was Catholic, but, but then his father and his mother divorced, so he, he wasn't raised Catholic. And then in, in 1941, when he was enlisted, you know, shortly before uh, the war started, he met Rita Wooster. She was a nurse, and they fell in love, and uh, she, she made it clear. She said, I'm only marrying a Catholic. So he, he quickly converted, but by all accounts, it was a genuine conversion. He, he embraced his faith. And from then on, he, he was a dedicated Catholic. Yeah, so six, six weeks after they met, they married at St. Mary's Church in Phoenix. Right. Oh. So um, <laughs> jumped right into it. Yeah. Well, and speaking of conversion, uh, we need to talk about his dad. So his dad uh, was Easy Eddie O'Hare, a notorious... <laughs> notorious Chicago lawyer who became a business partner of Al Capone. Talk about the Lord being able to write with straight with crooked lines and nobody's yeah. too far gone for the grace of God. Tell us how Easy Eddie uh, actually, on the day of his death, was found with a rosary, crucifixion, and religious medallion after being Al Capone's business partner. Right. So you'd be hard-pressed in, in our history to find father and son with, with disparate histories so his father was a lawyer, you know, originally from St. Louis, moved to Chicago, and then he became associated with notorious Al Capone. So his his name was Edgar O'Hare, but his nickname was Easy Eddie. He was interested in making money, and so he he paired up with Capone, and they ran businesses like dog tracks, and uh, made a lot of money. But uh, you know, eventually his catches got the best of him. So he secretly met with the IRS. And uh, he had uh, Capone's uh, financial records. He turned over the records. And as most people know, eventually, you know, Capone was convicted of tax evasion of all the awful things he did. That's the only way the feds could get him. And it was Butch's dad was the guy who really made it possible. He testified hmm. against Capone, which was very risky. Uh, he knew he was uh, taking a big chance. 
And so Capone went to prison, and then in 1939, one week before Capone was scheduled to be released, O'Hare was, he was gunned down. He was driving home from work. He was gunned down. They, they never caught the suspects, but, you know, you can imagine who was behind it. So his conscience got the best of him. It's interesting, uh, in his pocket, uh, the police found uh, a rosary, a crucifix, a religious medallion. So you're right. God, God is right straight with crooked lines. So he had a, he had a kind of his own conversion experience. He decided to do the right thing. It cost him his life. And, you know, the thing is, a father, he, he, he had a, uh, a tawdry career, but he did try to do right by his son. You know, he was a good father all along. He, he's the one who um, encouraged him to be a, a pilot. He's the one who enrolled him in the military academy to teach him discipline. You know, he, he backed his son 100%. So despite his thoughts, he was always a good father to his son. Yeah, one of the reasons I love these stories is it, beca- it it just brings home a lot of the principles of the gospel, the 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 high ideals that we can proclaim then are embodied in very normal people. You know, Easy Eddie and Butch. Here are two guys who live very different lives, but are at the end of the day, uh, we believe and hope that the the grace of God had transformed their hearts. That even though they met their ends in very different ways that uh, they heard those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Uh, you wrote this book, 150 People, Places, and Things You Never Knew Were Catholic. I, I, the curiosity is getting the better of me. What other examples, what other 150 people, places, or things? You don't have to list all 150, but I'd yeah. love to hear a few others of that uh, people would find compelling. Yeah, you know, I was just listening to your newscast, and it's, uh, there was a report about uh, football stadiums, you know, which ones are valued by the players. It, so one of one of the people I profile is Vince Lombardi, the legendary football coach, and uh, you know he's he's thought of this crusty, win at all cost coach, um, he's legendary coach of the Packers, led him to the Super Bowl, but in fact he was a devout Catholic. He he wasn't a nominal Catholic. I mean it wasn't just he went to church, was raised in a Catholic home. His faith really was at the center of his life. So his. His players knew that. He, you know, Lombardi didn't try to wear his faith on his sleeve, but his players knew what was important to him. They used to joke, you know, what's more important, Lombardi? Is it to win games or go to heaven? Mm. <laughs> In fact, he, he used to um, drive to practice and games. He had uh, rosary beads on his steering wheel, so he could say the rosary um, while he was um, going to his games and practices. And, you know, he, he didn't see himself as just a football coach. You know, when he was younger, he thought he would be a priest. And um, then uh, then he decided it wasn't for him, but he saw himself as a role model. He just didn't, he just didn't want to win games. He, he wanted to be a person who, who kind of modeled the faith, you know, did the right thing. And he saw his football coach as a vocation. That's, uh, he agonized over each move. He started a Catholic high school, and he was a very successful coach, and he was reluctant to move on. He was extremely successful in high school, and he kept asking himself, is this what God wants me to do? You know, how can I fulfill my destiny? Is this the right thing for me to do? Is this the right way for me to be a Catholic? He always questioned that, and he always kept his faith at the center of his life. So we think of him as this, uh, you know, this really iconic football coach, very disciplined, it's all about winning, but actually, you know, his faith was, was extremely important to who he was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's incredible. I, as a big football fan, that, that that warms my heart. And our local coach here, uh, 
Jim Harbaugh always talks about faith, family, and football. Those are the right. three the three things most important. Uh, another one that you listed in in an article that I have in front of me here is uh, Louis Pasteur, a devout Catholic whose research was driven by love of God and humanity and making cornflakes safe for breakfast. Is this where we get pasteurized from? Exactly. Right. Right. So right, he was uh, right. He was a scientist, and of course, being a scientist, that that. Uh, very interested in science, but he also saw science as a way to serve God. Hmm. You know, he saw the glory of creation, and uh, science for him, like Lombardi, was a vocation. You know, it was a way to live out his faith, and he saw, you know, the, the, the innovations he did as a scientist, it was a way to use his talents and skills. You know, he wasn't some um, ambitious uh, guy who wanted to get rich or fame or renowned. You know, he put his talents to use as, I can serve humanity, you know, I can serve God, God put me on this earth for a purpose, and right, he came up with pasteurization, which we all benefit from today, how many millions of lives did he save Mm -hmm. by using his talents? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we could go on and on, but I'm curious, why did you write the book, and what do you hope that people will get from learning about these different people, places, and things that we didn't know were Catholic? Well, these, um, it's like the O'Hare story. I mean, these are hidden stories. Um, you know, the Catholics, the things they do, the discoveries, the inventions, the influence they have on other people, I don't think the role of their faith is properly recognized. Um, we know these people, we know these things, but people generally don't know that um, a lot of these inventions, discoveries, uh, things we take for granted, they came about because people were living out their faith. You know, they saw themselves as having vocations. They wanted to put their talents and skills to use. They were serving God in the way that they thought God wanted them to serve. So there's all these hidden stories. Um, like Sister Hummel, for example, um, she was a, a German nun. You probably know the Hummel figurines are these cute mm-hmm. little cherry book figures. Um, and they became popular after World War II. She, she was a nun, and the, the Hummels are based on her sketches. Um, and so she was actually just a kind of normal school teacher at the convent school, and uh, she's brought a lot of joy and pleasure to people thanks to her art. Yeah, what a, what a tremendous witness of kind of receiving from the Lord the gifts and unique talents and then offering them back to Him. And what you see exactly. is the Holy Spirit leading these people, whether it's scientific discoveries or you know, in the case of Lombardi, just forming men uh, in virtue and in kind of the the school of life. Uh, the Lord works through all of us in different ways, and we're all part of the body of Christ. So, Jay, thank you so much for being on Crescent in the yeah. Afternoon. The book is 150 People, Places, and Things You Never Knew Were Catholic. Real quick, where can they find it? Um, you can go to our Sunday Visitor website. You know, you can right. you can Google uh, Jacob and, and the name of the book, 150 People, Places, and Things You Never Knew Were Catholic, and you can buy it directly from our Sunday Visitor website. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Jay. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to look at Again, as a history major, I'm always fascinated by these hidden stories and the way the Lord has worked throughout history and through different people and places. This is great. All right. I'm Pete Burak. This is Crescent in the Afternoon. We'll be right back. Christ is the answer with Father John Ricardo. Are you passionate about Jesus? Are you zealous 
for Jesus? Are you fervent for Jesus? Are we fervent for the gospel? Are we passionate about helping this world come to know him? Is that true? It's not true for most people in the church. Is Jesus my best friend? Is he your best friend? I'm looking around the church. There's a set of guys in here who have great man caves. As I was praying this morning, I felt like the Lord said, hey, when are you going to come to my man cave? <laughs> like, you guys think a flat screen TV is really cool. Well, you should see what I got to offer. Because I and I alone, he says, can really give you what it is you're longing for. Whoever it is we're rooting for right now, they're, they're going to lose eventually. Or whatever it is that's occupying our time, one day we're going to realize it really wasn't that important. Why aren't we hanging out with the one who alone can show us what life is really all about? When was the last time you hung out in the Lord's man cave? Connection with Teresa Tomio. The church isn't saying throw out the baby with the bathwater. Throw out all the media. Don't use the media. What the Pope is saying that make sure that what you are doing is enabling yourself and others to encounter Christ more deeply. And you can't do that unless you reach out. You have to reach out to God first. You have to encounter Him in the Eucharist in that personal relationship. And then you pray, you reflect, and then you go. In my book, Beyond Sunday, Becoming a 24-7 Catholic, I talk about the three M's of faith, meeting, mercy, and mission. You meet and encounter Christ. You enter into a personal relationship with him. He gives you mercy. And then what do you do? You just sit there and say, oh, thanks, Jesus. See you later. No, you go out on mission exactly as the woman at the well did. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio. Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. This program is brought to you in part by Charity Mobile, a proud partner of Ave Maria Radio for over 15 years. Charity Mobile is the pro-life cell phone company and has sent nearly $2 million to thousands of pro-life charities. 4G LTE coverage is available nationwide, and 5% of your monthly plan price goes to your favorite pro-life charity. A video introduction is available at CharityMobile.com. Charity Mobile. Everyday living, effortless giving. CharityMobile.com Hi, I'm Al Cresta. Do you remember writing your Christmas wish list as a child? In developing countries like Haiti and Guatemala, children don't make Christmas lists, and they don't expect Christmas gifts. All their parents earn must go to food, shelter, and water. Can you picture the joy of surprising a child with their first Christmas gift? Send them a box of joy at boxofjoy.org a rosary and the story of Jesus is included in every box of joy. Give today at boxofjoy.org. The wisdom of Mother Angelica. You remember the time I said on the air, go to confession. And when you're done, go out and have a big ice cream soda. Celebrate. And a man wrote to me, he said, you know, I hadn't gone to confession in 30 years. Do you mind if I went and had a pizza? I said, oh, have 20 pizzas. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. Cresta in the Afternoon is underwritten by the following nonprofit organization. Real Estate for Life. Buying or selling your home or business property? Real Estate for Life can connect you with one of 1,400 pro-life real estate agents around the world. When Real Estate for Life receives a referral fee, they donate 70% to Ave Maria Radio and Human Life International. More information at realestateforlife.org or 877-LIFE-US1. That's realestateforlife.org.
Welcome back to Krista in the Afternoon. I'm Pete Burak, filling in for Al. Our next guest is going to help us understand why and what it means that St. Mary's, Cal- Mary's College in Notre Dame, Indiana, historically a school for undergraduate women, will now be accepting men who identify as women. So our next guest is Mary Rice Hassan. She is the Kate O'Brien O'Byrne, excuse me, fellow in Catholic Studies at the Ethics and Public Policy Center, where she also directs the Catholic Women's Forum. She's the co-author of Get Out Now, Why You Should Pull Your Child from Public School Before It's Too Late, and the editor of Promise and Challenge, Catholic Women Reflect on Feminism, Complementarity, and the Church. Mary, welcome to Crest in the Afternoon. Thank you so much. Wonderful to be with you. Yeah, I, I'm excited to, to, to talk to you about this, and really, I'm excited because I think I just need your help, really. I need your help to understand what I'm reading here when I read this statement from St. Mary's College, which is a historically a school for undergraduate women, and they are no longer just for women, but they're claiming that they're still just for women. <laughs> can you can you help us understand what the school is doing and 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 how to actually unpack what seems like a a statement that doesn't actually make any sense. Well, it certainly doesn't match reality, and that's unfortunately what the school is signaling, that it has accepted gender ideology, which says that who you are is whoever you say you are. So the school said that they will be accepting people whose sex is female, which is what they've always done as a woman's college, but also that they will be accepting people who consistently live and identify as women. In other words, they are validating the false premise that there is no truth to who we are, that we're created male or female, but rather each one of us gets to decide who we are and identify a certain way, and they're going to respect that. They're, they're going to adopt this view that wishes and feelings determine reality instead of reality being something that's given that we have to acknowledge and accept and, and uh, live in accord with. So it, it's a language game, frankly. Mm-hmm. It's very deceptive. It's very deceptive, and, and yet if it was just a problem of language... Uh, maybe we could just, you know, come against it just at a language level. But clearly, this is, is signaling not just in in a tone or in a policy, but now there's going to be a lived experience of the students who are women mm-hmm. uh, arriving on campus, presumably in the fall, with <laughs> men who are pretending mm-hmm. to be women. And there are real ramifications of that. Obviously, it's speculative to ask you this, but what what do you expect to happen, or what are what are the consequences of a policy change like this? Yeah, well, you identify something that's really important, because part of the narrative that's out there in the culture is that in order to be loving and inclusive of people who are identifying as transgender, we need to validate their uh, chosen identity, and everyone can live happily ever after. But, but what you just highlighted is the fact that this is not something that is just in someone's head, because... The whole idea of someone asserting a transgender identity is that they want others to validate it, to recognize it, to to treat them as if what they are claiming is true. So that means every other young woman who's on the campus at St. Mary's has to participate in this charade, in this this narrative that this you know a hypothetical person, a male who identifies as female 
and who says, this is who I am, accept me for who I am. It's it, in a sense, the university is saying, okay, ladies, actual females, you have to go along with this. You have to validate his subjective perception of reality, even though it's not true. You have to use the pronouns, you have to use the name. And they did not address this in their statement, but there's a big question. Are they going to allow someone who is male, biologically male, even though he's asserting a female identity or an identity as a woman, are they going to allow that male to be roomed in female dormitories? They don't have male dormitories, obviously, because it's a woman's college. So right there, you are looking at a situation which violates Catholic teaching on modesty and respect for sexual difference where you don't violate intimate spaces where people are changing, going to the bathroom, using the shower, etc. We don't make those um, facilities mixed use in, in a way that is going to violate people's privacy. So there's a problem that everyone has to validate this false belief. They have to endorse it. They have to use the language. And the language is symbolic, you're right, of the underlying rejection of reality, rejection of Catholic teaching. But then there's the intrusion for every other woman who now has to go along with this and pretend, but no longer has um, private spaces just for them as women, which presumably is one reason why they chose to go to a woman's college, mm-hmm. that they, they value that. And so that's being taken away from them. Yeah, and Bishop Rhodes from Fort Wayne, South Bend, issued a, a really good statement on November 27th. Mm-hmm. And one of the things he said in it that I think is so important for us to highlight in these discussions is he says, the desire of St. Mary's College to show hospitality to people who identify as transgender transgender is not the problem. The problem is a Catholic women's college embracing a definition of woman that is not Catholic. And I think this is such an Mm -hmm. important uh, point that the bishop is raising, that this is not so much a, a question or pushback on walking with these people, loving these people, helping them be whole and healthy and fruitful in their lives, but it's really a question of subverting uh, a definition that we don't have the power to change. Right, and and the bishop said something important there. He was quoting um, an encyclical, and he, he was saying, love is truth. I mean, that is, there is no daylight between love and truth. So mm. here, the, the St. Mary's College is saying, well, we're doing this because we're being loving and inclusive, and they cite Pope Francis on that. And yet, Pope Francis himself has written extensively on the need to be faithful to the truth here, particularly rejecting gender ideology. So they are trying to divide love from truth, and that's something that Bishop Rhodes uh, very rightly and very um, eloquently really just Mm -hmm. called them out on and said, that's not church teaching, and it's, it's it's not something you can do as a, if you're going to call yourself a Catholic women's college, you can't just institute policies that are directly contravening Catholic teaching about the human person, about sexual difference, and expect everyone to go along with that and pretend it's true, which is really what they're asking. Again, of every young woman who applies and, and plans on attending there, they've got to go along with, uh, with this mm-hmm. false narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, I've, I'm sure you as well have gotten somewhat accustomed to the secular world making these decisions and kind of trumpeting these ideas and celebrating these new definitions of things. But it still alarms me, and it still kind of surprises me when an explicitly Catholic institution 
uh, just kind of buys the cultural narrative hook, line, and sinker. How How is just a normal Catholic person, how are we su- called to respond? Or what 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 should our disposition towards this be? Instead of just kind of shouting at the moon, is there a way at which we can lead and be led by the Spirit to to actually do something about an institution that claims to be Catholic but is directly making a decision that is contrary to Catholic teaching? Well, I, I would encourage people to look in their own backyards, hmm. because this, as St. Mary's itself said, they are not the only Catholic women's college that has introduced policies like this. And so there are a number of them. I don't want to name other schools at this point, but people can read The Pillar, did an article on this, (laughs) and listed a number of things that they found on their research. And something I've encountered over the years, just working on this issue, there are a fair number of Catholic universities, not just women's colleges, but Catholic universities that have chosen to go along with gender ideology, in other words, validating a false vision, false understanding of the human person, and again, it's not just theoretical. It's not just writing a policy. It's this then translates into norms and how people have to treat others. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, it's not it's not a question of being kind to someone and, and charitable and walking with them, as you said, but rather we have to jump into their narrative and pretend that this is true and use the language that is uh, a false description you know, and and yet the church says it's it's not loving to lie. Mm-hmm. It's there is no daylight between love and truth. So for Catholics who are saying, well, what do I do about this? Look in your own backyard, and if you see this is a problem, and unfortunately, I, there are I know of some situations where this is occurring even at the high school level, mm-hmm. and so you need to raise in, in a nice, not shouting arrogant way, but but just raise that and say, look, what's going on here? Whether it's something to be brought to the attention of the bishop, raised directly with a school or a university, if you're an alum and you become aware of this, you should be weighing in. And I think on a more general level, we have to be willing as Catholics to talk about this issue, to educate other Catholics to really bring forward the truth about the human person. And an easy way to do that, I encourage uh, your listeners to read Bishop Rhodes' statement. It just beautifully lays out in a very simple and, and eloquent, eloquent way just what the Church teaches on this. And I, I think everyone needs to, to understand that so that we can articulate it, because there are a lot of people drawn into this or seduced, really, by this ideology who are well-meaning, and we need to not be afraid to speak the truth. Now, whether this is going to, Bishop Rhodes' statement is going to cause the uh, Board of Trustees at, at St. Mary's to reverse course, I highly doubt it, frankly. But, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's unfortunate. I, I actually spoke at St. Mary's in 2018 on this topic on gender ideology. And the young woman who was a senior at the time, uh, who was with an organization that sponsored me, Um, it was very difficult for her to get permission at that time from the university. And then afterwards, after after I spoke, it actually turned out well. There were people who disagreed with Catholic teaching and, you know, engaged their questions respectfully, and and it it went very well. But in the aftermath of that, the college uh, put out a notice that they were going to hold a healing circle for anyone who was troubled by, Mm. by, you know, someone, me, presenting (laughs) Catholic teaching on this. So, you know, they unfortunately have a history of 
capitulating to the culture mm-hmm. and and really distancing themselves from uh, the truth of the person and the, the truth of our faith. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for your, your committed and uh, courageous proclamation of the truth. We only have a couple, uh, just about 30 seconds left, but could you, if somebody wants to be more educated on these things, where could they go to, to get some resources from you or from others? Yeah, so I um, have a website, personandidentity.com. You can go there, click resources, you can find everything you need to know about this. Well, wonderful. So personandidentity.com. Well, thank you, Mary. Thank you for your, your dedication to the truth and your willingness to speak up on these issues. This is Pete Burak filling in for Al Cresta on Cresta in the Afternoon. It's time for a break. We'll see you after the break. I'm Dr. Greg Popchak. And I'm Lisa Popchak from More to Life. Would you like to have a better family life by Christmas? Join us Monday, December 4th at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, for our free webinar, A More Peaceful Family by Christmas, A Catholic Parent's Guide to Advent. In Advent, we're called to make more room in our hearts and homes for Christ. Discover how the grace of Advent can help you celebrate the loving, faithful family life God wants for you. And it's free. Just register at catholichom.com slash webinar. That's catholichom.com slash webinar. See you there. Hi, I'm Al Cresta. Do you remember writing your Christmas wish list as a child? In developing countries like Haiti and Guatemala, children don't make Christmas lists, and they don't expect Christmas gifts. All their parents earn must go to food, shelter, and water. Can you picture the joy of surprising a child with their first Christmas gift? Send them a box of joy at boxofjoy.org. A rosary and the story of Jesus is included in every box of joy. Give today at boxofjoy.org. Ave Maria School of Law is the Roman Catholic Law School in the United States. Consistently ranked in the Princeton Review as one of the best and most conservative law schools, as well as pre-law's most devout law school. Ave Maria School of Law provides a traditional legal education while emphasizing how the law intersects with the Catholic intellectual tradition and natural law philosophy. Ave Maria School of Law, unabashedly Catholic, consistently excellent. For more information, visit AveMariaLaw.edu. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual fund. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. What do we mean when we say the Church is the body of Christ? From the very beginning, Jesus shared with his apostles his mission, his joys and sufferings, and the mystery of the kingdom. The Catholic Catechism points out that Jesus indicated the intimacy of his union with his followers when he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me, and I in you. When Jesus' visible presence was taken away from the apostles, they were not orphaned. Jesus sent them his spirit. As a result, says the Catechism, communion with Christ is even more intense. Jesus mystically constitutes as his body all those brethren called together from every nation. The Church is not only gathered around Christ, she is united in him, in his body. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. It's time for Family Man with Dr. Gregory Popchuk. 
Parents often complain that their kids either don't do their chores or don't do a good job with them. How can parents teach kids to do chores well? The easiest way to teach kids healthy attitudes toward chores is to create family work rituals, where families do chores together. Daily family work rituals give parents and kids an opportunity to work side by side, learning good stewardship, responsibility, and teamwork. Family work rituals provide on-the-job training for chores, so that when kids eventually get their own chores, they know what's expected of them and how to do them well. That's one reason family rituals for working together are such an important part of Catholic family life. To discover more ways your family can celebrate the liturgy of domestic church life, check out the newest editions of Parenting with Grace and visit CatholicCounselors.com. I'm Dr. Greg Popchak, but you can call me Family Man. To discover more ways faith can enrich your life, visit CatholicCounselors.com. Welcome back, friends, to Cresta in the Afternoon. I'm Pete Barak, filling in for Al Cresta, who is currently working on the Ave Maria Radio Pledge Drive. And as I've been saying all show, this is your gentle but firm and friendly reminder to support your local Catholic radio station. We need it. It's important. And this is important work. We're closing out the show with Father Timothy Viverick. He is a priest of the Diocese of Austin and currently the pastor of Assumption Paris parish in the city of West Texas. He has studied dogmatics with a focus on ecclesiology, apostolic ministry, Newman, and ecumenism, and he recently wrote an article for the thecatholicthing.org called Word of God, Words of Men. So we're going to be talking about the difference between the Word of God and the words of men. Father Timothy, welcome to Crest in the Afternoon. Thank you. Um, I'm glad to, glad to be with you. Yeah, I was very. I, I read your article uh, a couple times because it just touched my heart. It resonated with me. It convicted me of this distinction that you're making, and what really that Saint Paul is making that you're highlighting between the Word of God and the words of men. And here's a line that I want to start with. You said that's why Saint Paul could say he spoke the Word of God rather than the words of men. This word isn't merely a sound in the air or ink on a page. It's the life-giving Word of the Father addressed to every person. So, Father, help us understand what that means. Well, we, we tend to just instinctively think of the Word of God as uh, being um, uh, the, the Scriptures. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, that's not, I mean, certainly they can be, they are the Word of God in a way, but fundamentally the Word of God is the eternal Word of God um, who took flesh and was born of Mary. Um, so we know the Word of God there as uh, in, the, in the person of Jesus. Um, and the scriptures are the word of God because in them um, uh, they reflect um, they reflect the, the truth about God that's really present in the eternal word, Jesus Christ. Mm. And so it's not simply a word on a page with ink. It's not simply the things that we say out of our mouth, right? It is Christ Jesus who is the eternal word of God made flesh. He has the power to transform our lives uh, in a way that a word on a page does not, and a word being preached does not, if it's simply taking, taken as a word. But if it is received uh, in Christ Jesus, and it is the word of God that's being pronounced, then, then that has the power to, to change our lives. Yeah, St. Paul talks about in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, in receiving the word of God from hearing us, you receive not a human word, but as it is truly 
the word of God, which is now at work in you who believe. What does it mean for the word of God to be at work in us who believe? Well, Christ dwells in us, and we in him. Um, He is the vine, we are the branches. We can do nothing uh, without him. And in him we can do everything that that we need to do. So um, as long as we are not in a as long as we're in a state of grace, we haven't turned away and broken our communion, our fellowship with God through sin, then God is dwelling in us, uh, Christ is active, and our actions are uh, sharing in, in, in his work. Um, and that's how he is at work in us. He's bringing about the changes he needs to bring about in our life. Um, and we are sharing in that work as we cooperate with him, and we are sharing in his work of um, not just on our behalf, but on everyone's behalf, because in our life, then, we're making Christ present uh, to those around. And so the Word of God is at work in us who believe in that way. Yeah, no, that makes sense. This may be an unfair question, Father, but given where we've seen uh, the decline in the Church and uh, decline in mass attendance and, you know, all sorts of statistical analysis suggesting that faith is, is diminishing— would you say that part of the reason for that is this uh, either hesitancy or lack of faith for the people who believe, and maybe even our, our priests from the pulpit, but for this kind of clear, um, anointed proclamation of God's Word that doesn't need to be kind of watered down or transformed by a human word? Well, yeah, you can't really water down the Word of God, you see. Um, if you're either You're either... Basically, you're preaching the Word of God or you're preaching the Word of men. That's uh, There's no middle ground. <laughs> um, and to the extent you're... So, uh, in not proclaiming the gospel, um, the words that are coming out of a person's mouth might c- kind of can persuade people in some way or in shape or form, but they can't, but, but they can't save that person. Hmm. They, can't, they can't bring that person uh, the transforming power of the gospel because they're just human words. Maybe they're wise words, maybe they're foolish words, uh, but they're not saving words. And so, yes, when 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 parents and uh, religious br- brothers and sisters and priests and and bishops and cardinals, when they don't actually proclaim the gospel of Jesus, they're not giving words that are going to transform people's lives and set them free. Yeah, and I, and I think you know, as you go on in the article. One of my favorite sections is when you talk about St. Paul warning Christians not to accept anything that isn't the gospel other than the one that Christ entrusted to the apostles. I mean, you you say he even went so far as to declare those pseudo-evangelists accursed. And and it sounds harsh to be so kind of direct against the pseudo-gospel or a the word of man instead of the word of God. But you, this line just stuck out to me. You said, counterfeiting the gospel ruins innocent lives and encourage people to continue in their sins. That's catastrophic. Are you seeing that in the church today? Well, well, I'm certain we're seeing it among Catholics, uh, Catholic lay people and Catholic clergy, a Catholic hierarchy. Certainly we're seeing it. Um, uh, the, 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 the point is, it's not just a question of whether people are in a... We should be concerned whether people know what they're doing is wrong or not, or we should be concerned whether in the state of grace. I mean, those are important issues. But why should we, why should we allow people who don't know what they're doing is wrong, why should we allow them to suffer from behaving in a way that's inhuman? 
right? Right? God hasn't, re- Jesus didn't come simply to save us from sin. He came to give us abundant life. Mm-hmm. And that abundant life means even people who don't know any better will profit by being shown the right way. Even if they're in good, in, in good intentions and, and they're in that way in a state of grace, their life is still being messed up if they're not living the right way. Um, and we have lots of people saying precisely that, that given a person's subjective dispositions, we should kind of leave them in the situation they're in. Um, like, for instance, somebody's going to Holy Communion um, and, and, and they're living in mortal sin, but they think it's okay. Well, as long as they think it's okay, they're in a state of grace. Well, that's not the only basis for receiving communion. Receiving communion is supposed to be an uh, uh, indication that your own life is a witness to Jesus. But, but, but if your life isn't a witness to Jesus, even if you don't understand that completely, there are issues, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, right, the Word of God comes to set us free both from error and sin. And by not announcing it, we don't help the people who are innocently in error, and we certainly don't help the people who are in sin. For for those who are listening who are um, really just striving to live faithful Catholic lives, they're not necessarily caught up in the big kind of dogmatic or doctrinal discussions or the ins and outs of Vatican intrigue or anything like that. They're just, they're trying to be faithful to what the Lord has called them to, but are becoming more and more aware of their ability to just simply receive what comes from the pulpit or, you know, what comes from the hierarchy may not be completely accurate, or it may be problematic, or maybe messing with the Word of God, as you say. How, what would your recommendation be to the, the everyday Catholic for how to kind of navigate these turbulent waters of, you know, messages that may or may not be God's Word? Sure. Well, let's be clear. O- often enough, it, 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 it's not just dubious, it's false. Um, that's certainly the case, and has been, I'm 64 years old, it's been my most of my life, uh, since um, since at least, uh, I'm, I'm sure it's never been the case that all priests or bishops could be relied on, but but the right. fact that there's that there's a heresy being taught, this is not a new thing. This has been going on for decades and decades at this point. So the first thing is, don't panic. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And this isn't the first time in history this has happened. So what we need to do is, we need to recognize that um, we, we have to hold to the faith that's been handed down to us. St. Paul said, um, uh, he, he, when he talked about someone being accursed if they bring a different, different gospel, he was including himself. He said, if anyone, if I myself, if an angel from heaven brings you a gospel other than the one you first received, then let that, let that, let that messenger, let him be accursed. Um, and we've used that language. Uh, the language there in the Vulgate is anathema sit, a blending of Greek and, and Latin. Let him be accursed. That's what appears at the end of all the doctrinal pronouncements in the councils. Anathema sit. If you believe this, anathema sit. It's not trying to condemn people to hell. Mm-hmm. The reference there is to indicate that such a teaching is not part of the foundation. It is not the gospel. It is not true, and therefore it should not be believed. So we have to get in deeper in knowledge of uh, of the of the Christian faith, and we can do that through the catechism. We we can do that by reading the the lives of the saints and and, and that sort of thing. Many ways we can we can do that. Without asking you to to speculate in in ways that you couldn't possibly do, just 
why do you think it is that um, the message from so many pulpits uh, isn't that clear ringing bell of the gospel, but seems to be uh, lukewarm, confused, ambiguous, or in your in what you said, just outright wrong? Like, what what is it about the current moment that's producing that type of preaching? Um. Yeah. I mean, so two things happen. One, it's there can be all the confusion you mentioned. There can be falsehood. And, and mo- most of all, it's done simply by not speaking it at all. Yeah. Just not raising the issues in the pulpit at all, so it's never heard at all. Why is this happening? Because because it's uncomfortable to have to say things that, that contradict the prevailing uh, view of, of the world. Hmm. Um, uh, whether that's regarding economy, whether it's the proper care of immigrants, um, whether it's abortion, whether it's human sexuality inside and outside of marriage, whether it's contraception, wh- whatever it might be, it's much more convenient for people not to say things that are going to be disruptive. Mm-hmm. Um, that wasn't Jesus's approach, but we understand why fallen human beings, priests included, um, don't want to don't want to get up there and, and say that. And in the case of the seminary uh, priests now, I mean, again. I've been, I'm 64 years old, I'm a priest almost 40 years, but lots of the correct stuff wasn't even taught us in the seminary mm. back in those days, anyway. So where, where are the priests starting from? But, but it goes back to the question, why weren't they taught the right thing? Well, because people want, we want a gospel that's convenient, that fits what we want. That's, that's completely understandable, given our fallen human nature. Yeah, and the gospel isn't convenient because it is the battle between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of heaven, and that is a, a true war. 30 seconds left, Father. What what recommendation, what practical things would you say to just help our hearts be disposed to receiving the word with joy and not being hardened to it? Um, I think we follow the way of discipleship that Jesus uh, lays out in Matthew uh, chapter 6, uh, prayer. Um, self-sacrifice uh, or um, fasting, but so, so self-sacrifice broadly understood, and um, and works of mercy or almsgiving. It's by living the Christian life through those three ways, prayers, self-sacrifice, and works of mercy, that we grow closer to Jesus in our daily life. Father Timothy Viverick, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for preaching the truth. Uh, you can get Father's article at thecatholicthing.org, Word of God or Words of Men important truth that we take to heart, that we listen to, and we believe. This is Crested in the Afternoon. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Al Cresta. Do you remember writing your Christmas wish list as a child? In developing countries like Haiti and Guatemala, children don't make Christmas lists, and they don't expect Christmas gifts. All their parents earn must go to food, shelter, and water. Can you picture the joy of surprising a child with their first Christmas gift? Send them a box of joy at boxofjoy.org. A rosary and the story of Jesus is included in every box of joy. Give today at boxofjoy.org. Dr. Ray Garendi. Two of the hardest words to say in the English language. I'm sorry. I'll ask couples, when was the last time you said I'm sorry? Oh, uh... I think it was our wedding rehearsal dinner. I, I spilled some coffee on her lap. I said, hey, sorry about that. Why is I'm sorry so hard to say? What does it mean to you? Are you saying you're a failure? 
Are you saying I'm wrong? Are you saying if I say I'm sorry, I'm admitting it's all my fault? I'm sorry are two of the softest words in a relationship in the English language. I'm sorry, very hard to say, very easy on relationships. Hello, Steve Ray here. Everything in the Bible and in the Catholic Church starts with the book of Genesis. It reveals to us God's plan for mankind. Yet Genesis can be daunting, especially given the scientific discoveries of the last few centuries. Well, that's where I come in with my new book, Genesis, a Bible study guide and commentary. Discover a thoroughly Catholic approach to this exciting and dramatic ancient narrative that is so often misunderstood. You can get the book now on the store page at AveMariaRadio.net. Check it out. Welcome back to Cresta in the Afternoon. I'm Pete Burak, filling in for Al Cresta today as he is working on the Ave Maria Radio Pledge Drive. Support your local Catholic radio. It's the last time I'll say it today, but it's important, so please do it. It was a great show. I enjoyed both hours, lots of wonderful conversations, and what was clear to me, the theme that the Holy Spirit drew out of the last two hours was this. Each of us needs to spend time every day allowing the Word of God to transform us, to form us, to purify us and set us on the path of intimacy with him so that we can live as his disciples. The word of God was preached today over the last two hours and highlighted for us as a non-negotiable part of our lives. This has been Crest in the Afternoon. I'm Pete Burak filling in for Al. So grateful for your support. God bless you. Cresta in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. To follow up on any of the guests or information presented on today's program, visit the Cresta Guest Archive at AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E-M-A-R-I-A Radio.net. To listen to this or any other edition of Cresta in the Afternoon, visit the audio archives at AveMariaRadio.net. Or to order a CD of the program, call 734-930-4506 or email orders at AveMariaRadio.net. That's 734-930-4506 or orders at AveMariaRadio.net.